Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. The presenting sponsor of this episode is Talon LPE. Talon provides environmental consulting and drilling services, as well as construction and safety services for Fortune 500 energy companies, federal and state agencies, and more. And they're headquartered right here in Amarillo. Learn more at talonlpe.com. Today's guest is Patrick Freeman. Patrick grew up in Amarillo, then left the city to go to college and went on to build a financial services career in Houston and South Texas. And then he returned to Amarillo just a few years ago in the middle of a pretty dramatic career change. Today, Patrick is a successful voiceover actor. He works from a home studio in Amarillo, and he makes a living narrating audiobooks and voicing video game characters. We discuss what his work entails, how he made the transition from the corporate world into the entertainment industry, and why he's about to spend several months living in China. Here's Patrick Freeman. Patrick Freeman, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate you being here. Well, great. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Well, I, I want to talk about your career, the the things that you do here in Amarillo. But before that, let's establish how you ended up here in the first place. Uh, well, my dad was in the military down in uh, San Antonio, and uh, he was fin- finishing up his residency. And he got transferred up here with the Army, uh, doing physicals for the Air Force. And he decided to stay here. So, so you grew up here? I was born in San Antonio, raised in Amarillo, Texas. Okay. Yep. How old were you when you ended up in this area? I want to say I was probably two or three. Go to high school here? Yeah, and... went to River Road High School. Okay. Yeah, went to Texas Tech University after I graduated. Graduated River Road in 1988. All right. Gives you an idea of my age there. Well, and it's <laughs> not too far off of my age. So um, tell me what happened after college. I mean, what was your degree at Tech? So my degree was in communications. I had a minor in Russian language. Wow. And uh, from there, went down, moved down to Houston, got married, and I spent over 20 years in the investment business, wholesaling institutional investments. Why the Russian language as a minor? I've always had a fascination with languages. Uh, so I, I studied Spanish four years in high school, two years of Spanish in college, but I wanted something different, and my roommate was studying it. It was actually his major I was listening to him practice one time. I said, that really sounds like a cool language. I'd like to try it. And he says, oh, it's, it's too hard of a language. You won't do well in it. Well, that obviously gave me the challenge to try it. So I took two years, two and a half years of Russian language. Okay. So, and then uh, you were in, in Houston for, for 20 years. For so 20 what years. brought you back here? So I was, the investment business was really good to me. But the last five years, I experienced about three layoffs. Okay. And I uh, just got tired of it. It was hit 2008, just like everything else, yeah, right? Oh yeah. yeah, I was actually working for AIG. Okay, so you were right <laughs> at the epicenter of a lot of the problems. <laughs> yeah, there. right when it happened, too, we were all in Vegas for a conference meeting. So wow. that really made uh, interesting news bits Good. that came out. But um, yeah, so I was, I was in the investment business for 20 years. That was my first layoff. But then I had two more layoffs after that with some other organizations that I worked for. And I said, you know what? I got to do something different. And I've always had a love for theater, arts, movies. Um, voiceovers. So in between the layoffs and the severance packages, I bought some equipment and I downgraded from an apartment, a nice, real nice apartment into uh, a Craigslist room that was available. So I was, you know, I could really save my money spending 300 bucks a a month in rent. So I could just really focus and pour my life into this new venture. So it started out as part-time, but it just progressed so quickly, and I had so much favor and success that I just finally resigned from the corporate world and 
pursue this full time about four years ago, four or five tell, years ago. So th- tell me what prompted you to to head that direction. I mean, a, a, apart from having an interest in theater and, and that sort of thing. I mean, did you did you go into it knowing that that you might have some clients, you know, kind of in your pocket, or was it just blind? I'm going to try this thing. It was it was pretty blind. Now I've been told, you know, since I was a little kid, I could make all sorts of sound effects. I could do all sorts of impressions could make people laugh with it. So I had a bit of confidence to do it. You know, there was, there was a time where it was probably about two or three weeks where I was really debating it. You know, I'm a big believer in hearing something three times. That's kind of as your sign. And within about a 48 hour period after this two weeks, I had somebody tell me the answer's right under your nose. And then I heard it on the radio. And then I heard it once again from somebody in my family that the answer's right under your nose. And it ended up being my mouth. Yeah. So I took that and ran with it and here we are today, 37 audiobooks later and various force over jobs. So let's let's talk about what you do. I think a lot of people, maybe they know that there are professionals that do voiceovers, that do radio commercials or audiobooks, mm-hmm. but they don't think about the where or the how that that happens. So did you come here just thinking, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to create sort of this this studio in in my home and and do it out of there. So what happened was, and I probably could have given you a little more background on it. After the layoffs, um, I decided that I needed to move up here to help out with my mom. Okay. So she just actually had knee replacement, and she's kind of going through a lot of. So you um, still had family in this. Yeah, area still had then. family here. So, um, so I decided that uh, I would set up my studio in her house, be there for her, you know, throughout the day if she needed me, and uh, so that's how I ended up. Getting up here to Amarillo was making that decision to help our family. But the so. job that you do, you can do from anywhere yes. as long as you've yes. got a good enough studio set up, right? You know, if, if you, you can acoustically you know, tune a room that ab- absorbs enough sound that you don't get too much echo or kind of a bone sound within your recording. Right. Um, I mean, you could spend 500 bucks, maybe to 1000 and make a room just like this almost soundproof. I mean, you can put like rubber mats over the windows and that kind of thing to have your homemade studio. Well, I did that um, when I was down in Houston, but when I moved up here, actually before I moved up here, I had purchased a Whisper Room, which is a, it's a four by six soundproof studio. Okay. It weighs like a thousand pounds. I get in there, can lock the door. It's just a little box pretty it's much. Just a, yeah, it's a small closet basically. So I've, I've got a seat in there and all my audio equipment. So, but you know, to answer your question, you can be anywhere. As long as you have a relatively quiet place, you've got the wherewithal to learn how to edit and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. then anybody can do it. And as long as you have an internet connection. With technology now, anybody can go out and buy the equipment and have their own professional studio. Enough to where you couldn't tell where it was recorded. Right. Was this in a Hollywood studio or was this in somebody's house or a, you know, a small studio like mine? Tell me about the process of gaining clients. You know, when you're coming out of the financial services industry, you probably don't have a lot of, you know, audiobook contacts or right. publishing houses right. or anything like that. So how did you, how did you put yourself out there and say, okay, I'm I'm an option for you? Okay, so I I started a website and actually it's down right now. We're we're actually working on updating it. My initial focus was in doing short voiceovers, like for radio, uh, TV commercials, radio commercials. So I went to, there's several different websites and there's subscription websites, what we call pay-to-pay websites, voices.com, voices123, and there's probably another 15 or 20 that are out there. So I ended up setting up a profile and then just started auditioning for one job after another, 
I had, had, you know, decent success. I've done a couple of video game characters with a company out of Russia it's called Elephant Games. It was in English at any no, big part. You didn't get to draw on your college experience with Russia. I didn't. So someday I will be able to. So maybe I'll play the, uh, the bad Russian spy someday on some movie. Tell me about the transition then from those shorter projects like radio to a to longer okay. form, you know, narration with an audio book. So I was struggling because there's, there's not really a voiceover university. So I ended up hiring a coach, Randy Haynes, out of Houston at Edge Studios. And I hired him to help me with my voiceovers and editing and every aspect of it. And we were having a conversation one time at his studio. And he says, you ought to really think about doing audiobooks. You've got a good timber to your voice, nice and low. And, you know, there's a big demand for that. So he actually introduced me to... Uh, ACX, alphacharliexray.com, which is owned by Amazon, who Amazon owns uh, Audible as well. Mm -hmm. So, and it's a place, it's a platform where narrators, producers like myself can connect with independent authors. He showed me how to audition, showed me how to edit. And the first three jobs that I auditioned for, I got three offers. So, and that's kind of how it, how it started off. Tell me what you enjoy about about the audiobook format, because I, I mean, personally, people may not know this, but I've, as a writer, I've recorded one of my own audiobooks. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun, but it was exhausting. Yes. I mean, just yes. as someone who you're not used to speaking for three to four hours a day over several days, mm -hmm. you know, not to mention reading your own work and wanting to edit stuff as you're reading it. Right. But um, it's a long process to record, you know, a two or three or 400 page book. Yes. Most uh, narrators, unless they go to some studio and they're doing like a Tom Clancy book where they've got their own audio engineers, most narrators have their own studio. They're the producer, they're the narrator, they're the actor, they're the sound engineer. So you're doing several things at one time. So it can, it can be pretty exhausting. But, you know, the rule of thumb when it comes to recording a full finished hour, you know, an hour that's ready for Audible or Amazon or to be purchased can be anywhere from four to seven hours of post-production work that right. goes into that. So, and I, I typically, I'm more methodical about the characters. I really like to bring to life the characters and the acting so that people are really engaged with what's going on. And I try to give each character a unique voice so people really don't have to switch gears. Okay, who, who's this talking? Right. A lot of narrators will just read straight through, but not add the life to it. And, and there's plenty of narrators that do. And but, good writing doesn't always identify the speaker. You know, you right. leave it up to the reader to remember, right? This is who's having this conversation. So it's exactly. not always says Joe or yep, Pete exactly. said, you know. Exactly. So if I can have a voice that's attached to that in their mind, in that subconscious part of their mind, they immediately recognize who it is just because of the voice. So, yeah, anywhere from, I, I think about five to six post-production hours to produce one hour. And on average, I'll do an hour to an hour and a half of finished audio per day. So if there's a 10 hour book, you can expect about two weeks and it'll be done. Okay. Yeah, as long as there's no other projects that come, come in during the process. Tell me, um, you know, from, from your perspective, what your specialty is. I mean, are, is there a certain type of book or genre that you are a best fit for? So I, I audition for books that I would find interesting. Okay. So that's, you know, by default, I'm going towards the genre of, you know, the dystopian novels, the military fiction novels, zombie novels. I've kind of got that deep, raspy, tough voice that... A little uh, bit of grit to it. A little it. bit of grit to it, a little bit of dustiness to it that fits in with those genres. Nobody's asking you to read the romance novels or anything like that. You know, I've actually had people with a deep voice. Um, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and say, I'd really like you to do this book, uh, but it's just not a, 
a genre that I want to get into right now. It, I, they pay well. They pay well. well very, I, I very imagine. well. <laughs> Tell me about the process. I mean, do you do you read the book to yourself before you perform the book, or is it all sort of happen at the same time? So what we do is when I get an, a an offer, they'll, they'll send me the uh, the copy via PDF, and what I'll do is I'll do a quick read through it at the same time taking notes. So trying to develop, you know, what voice would be great for this character mm-hmm. and also just anything that's kind of needs to be read a little bit slower or maybe a little bit faster. And then after that, I have a pre-production meeting with the author saying, here's some of the voices that I'm thinking about for this character. And also before we actually start, I ask them to send me a bio of each character. Okay. And you being a writer yourself, if you've written any books about other people, a lot of times you kind of have your your friends that you take their personality right, and right. you stick it into that character. So the more information that they can give me about the characters, the more it'll help me develop a, a good voice, a good personality for them. So I'll do that. And then after I read it, and once I start production, the day before production, I'll read that hour's worth of reading before I go in. So I've, okay. I've hit it twice, sometimes three times, depending on the complexity. I'd like listeners to hear some of the voices that you do, some of the ways that you can change your voice to fit a certain format or a certain character or something like that. Okay. I don't have anything in front of you for you to read, (laughs) so I don't know if that's going to be hard for you. No, that's all right. You know, actually, I I suspected that you were going to ask me that question. So, But I mean, a lot of these characters, you'll hear some of the same voices in different books, you know, with different authors. So uh, there was one book that I did. uh, One of the characters was this tough, hardened military man, and now he's in a position of being over this secret agency. I just, I wanted something different. And so I just reached up and grabbed my throat like this and squeezed it a little bit and talked like this, which made it very difficult because you're squeezing your, your face is turning turning red right now. So when I'm reading this character, I have to read the whole sentence and then stop. Wow. Okay. You know, stop the recording, take a couple of breaths and then go get back into it. And and I've had people say, that one character that you did, who was that? I said, that was me. And they're like, there's no way that was you. And I go, yes, that's, that's me. That's the mm-hmm. way I did it. So that's one of the characters. Um, I've been told that I have a pretty good range. I mean, I can, I can be really low, really low and raspy and, and intimidating. And we also have to do female voices, right. too. So, so do you pitch your voice higher? or yeah. Yeah, I've really made an effort to not overdo the female voices. If you if you can just give it a slight falsetto voice, that's fine. People don't get upset with you. They don't get irritated. So I'll put a... And then, you know, with the female voices, you can put a, a, a Western twang to it, or you can put a, a Boston uh, accent to it. Okay. So to me, the female voices initially were the hardest, but I just learned just don't overdo it and just a nice soft falsetto voice. How much do you try with the accents? There's such a fine line between it being a cartoonish version mm-hmm. of say a Boston accent or a, a legit Boston accent that someone who lives there would say, Oh, that sounds like the guys that, that right. I know, you know, how, how do you, how do you work on that sort of thing? It's, you know, I don't, I don't know if I told you this before we started, but I hired Scott Brick. I don't know if you know Scott Brick. He's, he is like the gold standard when it comes to audiobooks. He's done, Tom Clancy books, Janet Ivanovich books. He did Dune, the Born Identity series. Okay. He's done over 900 books. Well, about two years ago, I really wanted to take my narrating to the next level. So I hired him. He's in Los Angeles. And once or twice a month for almost a year, we did uh, Skype sessions where he just taught me everything about it. And one of the things that he said, you know, it's, it's the kiss method. Keep it simple. You know, it comes to accents. 
overdoing it, especially if somebody's if if they're from Boston, if they're from New York, they're going to identify that. Okay, that's not really that's a guy trying. That's to do a guy trying to do the New York accent. And and Scott always taught me just underdo it. If you if there's just one word in the sentence that you can give that accent to that you're comfortable with, then it's believable. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, you came back here because your family was here. You, you have a job that you can do anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, with the right setup. What role did Amarillo play in you being able to make this leap into something new to work for yourself and, and to do this kind of thing that you could do anywhere you wanted to? Why did you end up staying here? Well, the primary reason was my mother is, is being here. I mean, she's 76 and she's very capable of being by herself. But uh, that was really the initial reason was when I moved up here, our plan was within a year to move her to the West Coast, but she ended up deciding to stay here. But that was really the primary reason. As far as how Amarillo has, you know, kind of gone with me in this process, you know, I've attended some of the Comic-Cons, actually haven't actually set up a booth. I've gone to uh, employment meetings that they've had at the Civic Center Mm -hmm. and handed out business cards and you know, I always find that people here in Amarillo are very receptive to it because, in fact, I think even outside of this, most people have never met somebody that's, that narrates audiobooks. So there's always a keen interest and lots of questions that will follow when somebody hears about what I do. So, so tell me about what's in the future for you. I, knew, I know that you've got some travel that's planned to China. Tell me about that. Yes. So this year, February, I made the trip out to China to expand my voiceover business. Uh, there's a big demand for e-learning narrators, corporate narration, TV, radio. So I went over there for about three weeks. I went to Chongqing, China, which is in the southwest corner of China, and started to make contacts with people at the studios there, uh, some talent agencies. And it went well enough that when I returned, I decided that I was going to head back. So I'm heading back probably sometime uh, in this this fall, depending yeah. on depending on the work visa. Do you see this as a temporary sort of move, as a permanent move, as a back and forth situation? You know, I've always learned to never say never, but I'm definitely going to be there for a year. Okay. Uh, and it could extend into that. Uh, I've got a couple of friends there that have been on CCTV, which is kind of their national government network. And he's got some producers that he wants to inter- introduce me to. You know, eventually I would like to do some movies over there in China. My ultimate goal is to host a travel channel show. Okay. By doing this, and not that I, I know of with some of the production companies that are out there or the cable channels, but I don't think they really have anybody living in China. I'm talking about, you know, how back in the war they talked about embedded right. reporters. Right. So I kind of want to be in the, the embedded travel channel host that that lives there, that really is able to learn about the culture, see the uniqueness of the culture, the people, the food, and and just travel to places where most cable channels have not been able to go to simply because I'm living there, learning the culture and learning the language and building relationships that'll facilitate that. Why China specifically? Is is it because it has opened up to the West now and has such a demand, such a large you know, audience yeah. that that is wide open at this point? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. It's the fact that it's opened up, but there's just... There's a huge demand uh, for English speakers over there. I mean, I've talked to a couple of college students that, you know, and actually I'll be to get my work visa. I got the TEFL certificate teaching English as a foreign language and I got a job with the school. It's pretty much a part time job. So outside of the teaching, then I'll be doing the filming and auditioning and that kind of thing. But why the country? 
I guess first is I've always had an interest in, in the Far East. I don't know if you remember, we're about the same age, uh, Shogun. Yeah. I just fell in love with that whole show, just the, the mysteriousness of the culture, of the people. After that, I would actually pretend to write Japanese or Chinese. And uh, I did that for years and had people convinced that I could actually do it, which I couldn't. <laughs> um, so, you know, the seed has been there. It just hadn't really flourished until... What initiated is I started doing this voiceover job and doing the narrating of audiobooks, and it's really given me a tremendous amount of autonomy to do what right. I want. I don't report to anybody, except you know when I'm on a project and obviously reporting to the author. But outside of that, I'm like, you know what? We only live one life, and I've always wanted to go in there. I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, God, I wish I would have done that. Right. I've done it, and then all of a sudden from that trip, I encourage anybody, if you haven't been there, to, to go there. Or if there's a place that you want to go that's international, go there because you'll have new ideas for writing. You'll have new ideas for uh, you know making money or whatever it is. But it really exploded a lot of excitement about life and about different cultures and uh, different languages. So, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about Amarillo uh, because I'm interested in your perspective as someone who grew up here and then moved away for 20 years right. or 25 years, I mean, including college, yeah. and then came back as a full-fledged adult. I mean, what did you find the Amarillo of the past five years compared to the Amarillo of, of your childhood? You know, when, you, when you're saying this, I'm thinking of Marty, get back in the time machine, Yeah, <laughs> you know, back to the future. That's, I mean, it, every time when I was l not living here, when I was living in Houston or Dallas or Austin, and I came back, it always felt the same. It never changed. It has in the sense of growth, but it's, it hasn't changed that much. And that's one of the things that I like about it. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, is that a positive or is that a negative That's a you? positive because there's, you know, you can depend on that. You can kind of, it's like coming back to your, your house and walking in the house and going to your room. There's a comfort level with this city that I, I, I can appreciate and I've always enjoyed it. I'd like to know what you think, looking at the next year, you're going to move into a new country, a new culture. You'll continue doing a similar type of work. What is something besides that comfort? What's something that you'll miss about this area? Because China is very, very different yes, from is. the Texas Panhandle. It is. Um, you know, I, I think I'll miss the smallness. I mean, the, the city that I'm going to, there's over 30 million people there. And when I was there... And it's probably not considered a huge city by it's not, Chinese it's not. standards. It's funny. It's just, just south of... So I, I, there's a host that, uh, that kind of showed me around, and she took me down to meet a friend of hers in a smaller city... And I asked her, I mean, it looked like a small town, like Amarillo size. And she says, oh, there's like a million and a half, two million people wow. there. And she goes, small town. I'm like, uh, no, that's not. I mean, Chongqing, the population in Chongqing is bigger than the entire population of Texas. So uh, kind of getting back to your question, I think I'll miss the smallness. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say anonymity, but you get that in a big population. But here there's just... There's so many. There's so much people that are into your business. I mean, especially being a foreigner mm -hmm. uh, in China. I mean, people. I had people taking pictures of me. I had families coming up to me in broken English saying, "We've never met a Caucasian before, wow. a Westerner before. Can we take your picture?" So we had pe you know people taking pictures all the time. And uh, there, it's going to be, which is kind of cool. Gets old after a while because everybody's staring at you. But here, I mean, you just blend in with everybody else. I, I think that's a that's a legit thing to. Mm -hmm to miss mm -hmm. the, the kind of thing that might be fun for a little bit. But yeah. Then yeah. Your, your career these days is built around fiction. I'm curious if you were a reader when you were a kid. I wasn't much of a reader. 
I actually, I had a, uh, a learning disability. Uh, and what we ultimately figured out what it was, was ADHD. Hmm. So I, I just didn't have the focus to sit down and read books. Unless it was, you know, I remember a couple of books. Uh, it was about the, the guys in Vietnam, the rat, the tunnel rats. Is that what they call oh, yeah. them? Yeah. yeah. I, I was fascinated with this book, but I didn't actually start reading until I started traveling. Because there'd be times I'd be, you know, flying from Houston to New York or Boston mm-hmm. and had a couple of hours. So I'd read some, you know, inspirational books, stuff like that. I, I love stories like yours about dramatic career changes, just because, you know, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people maybe think about or dream about, right. but don't ever do. You know, uh, I, I wonder what do you think it is besides, you know, the economic part of it and, and the industry kind of going through some some crisis. What was it about you or your personality that enabled you to just stop one thing and start something brand new? Well, there was there was somewhat of a transition, and I was also kind of forced into it. So with the layoffs, you know, it just there was so much instability uh, for a five or six year period that you know a company would hire you and they would lay you off. But surely you could have ended up still in yeah, finance. Could, yeah, you know, or, yeah. If I would have really and uh, been willing to relocate, I could have easily gotten a job. You know, doing the same thing that I had been doing for twenty years. I've always had an interest in the arts and theater and acting. In junior high and high school, I wanted so badly to go to Hollywood, but I never did it. And it's, I think it's, it's going back and thinking about all these things that I've wanted to do, but never really pursued it. I did plan, I had two plans, plan A, plan B. Plan A was the safe route. Right. You know, it was the route that I knew my bills would get paid. It's the route that I was most comfortable with because I had done it for 20 years, very experienced and very successful. I think it's with the confidence and success that I had experienced while as a wholesaler, I think that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue this. I'm not going to have a plan B. I'm not going to have a plan C because that gives you an excuse to bail out. Right. This boat I'm on for as long as I can ride this boat. And it was, I think it was just getting fed up with the woulda, coulda, shoulda, and just finally, then just finally doing it. Again, at each layoff, I had a severance package. So I knew the bills were going to get paid, mm-hmm. but I knew eventually going down this route, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to fall back on that. So when you're really, not, I don't want to say desperate, but when you're, you've really changed your mind about pursuing something and going after it, you do everything possible to make it happen. And I, I, like I was telling you earlier, I made so many sacrifices. You know, I was purchasing a car every three years. Well, my car's now paid off because I've been forced to keep the car because I don't have as much income coming in as I did as an institutional wholesaler. I I moved from, you know, an apartment that I was paying $1,800 a month on to a house in Katy in this small room starting this business. You know, people don't, they see kind of the glamour aspect of right. it. Um, they don't see you they hiding in a box. They you don't know, see me hiding in a box. You know, my first, my first job that I got was I was in a room about this size with my Mac computer, uh, guitar, is it, was it Guitar Hero? What's the, uh, the, the editing software on the Mac? GarageBand. Yeah, GarageBand. So guitar it, Hero, <laughs> if you could edit that, that would be a lot of fun. I but. couldn't do that. So I had GarageBand and I had a blanket over me recording, you know, getting my first, first gig was under a blanket, actually with the AC off because the microphone picked up the AC. Right. For anybody that's listening to this, I mean, you, you got to go after it. I mean, and I hate to say it sounds so cliche-ish, but we, we really do only have one life. If there's something that you wanted to do, and I, and I believe that, that God deposits these dreams 
in your mind, in your genetic makeup. I mean, I just think it's a part of you. And if you don't pursue it, if you give up on it, you're going to regret it. This episode is sponsored by Talon LPE. Headquartered in Amarillo, Talon LPE is a full-service firm specializing in environmental consulting, engineering, drilling, safety training, and emergency response. With offices in Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Colorado, Talon is strategically located to serve clients all over the United States. These clients range from Fortune 500 energy companies to small businesses, and they also include federal and state agencies. In fact, more than 80% of Talon's business comes from repeat clients, some of whom have been with the company since it began in 1997. They turn to Talon LPE not just for professionalism and results, but also because they've experienced Talon's innovative solutions and trust Talon's outstanding corporate culture. Most importantly, Talon LPE is known for operating with ethical principles, putting the concerns of others ahead of their own. That makes them a big part of Amarillo's business community and an excellent corporate citizen. For more information, visit TalonLPE.com. Okay, we're back uh, with Patrick Freeman, voiceover artist living here in Amarillo. Patrick, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those uh, in whatever degree of detail you want to. If you want to do it in a different voice, a zombie voice or <laughs> a choking Russian, anything like that, you can, you can do that. Um, to, to start, though, I, I would like to ask, what's the hardest voice project that, that you've ever recorded? The hardest voice project is or was Coban. Uh, it's a, a science fiction book, space odyssey type book. It was the second book that I ever received a, uh, an offer on. And before that, my first book was a zombie book, and it was only three hours long. Um, but this audiobook was over 25 hours. Wow. So, and I actually went beyond the Call of Duty. I started adding sound effects. I called them strategic sound effects to enhance, you know, the moment. And that I knew nothing about. So there was a lot of, a ton of research on uh, how to splice in these different sound effects. And to, honestly, you say the hardest, it was probably the worst project I ever did. I ended up going back on some of those chapters, redoing them two times, sometimes three times to make the book, you know, listenable. I mean, there were people that were so irritated with how I had narrated it. Um, I remember one of the one review was it was a gut punch, but it was good. It said, uh, great book, deadly narration. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, that made me question, okay, why am I doing this? But after, after I disconnected from the emotional aspect of what they were saying, I, I really tried to read in, okay, why would somebody say this? Mm -hmm. So after three or four weeks, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back and just listen to it and see what the issue was. And it was just, it was horrible cadence. It was um, horrible sound editing, editing uh, mispronunciations of, of very simple words. I wasn't using a, a resource that you can get on the internet to make sure that I pronounce certain words right. right. I mean, simple words. That, that was by far was my most difficult project that I've ever done. I, I would guess the key as you know, as, as a, an audiobook narrator is that people don't really notice that you're an audiobook narrator. They, they don't want to be distracted by your cadence or by right. a mispronunciation or right. by a weird sound that shouldn't be there. Yeah. If they're thinking too much about you, they're not thinking about the story or they're not following along with the plot right. or what's happening. No, exactly. I mean, we were talking about Scott Brick earlier. I mean, that's one of the things that he taught me is you're inviting these people into your life and that two-week period, three-week period, 
not only that, but you're, you're kind of a guide for them and explaining, you know, what's happening in this particular book. You know, if, if you do anything that's outside of the norm of what people are normally used to, then you lose their trust. And every time that happens, they enjoy the book just a little bit less. Right. What are, we've already covered a part of this, but what's something else that you're going to miss about Amarillo besides the smallness? Is there a certain part of town or a certain place that you frequent or something like that? You know, I've got, I have family and friends here and I've actually, since I've been back, I've been able to reconnect with a lot of people from high school. So, you know, between missing family and conversations on a Friday night with some friends that I grew up with, I think I'll miss that. You know, I'm going to miss 575. Yeah. (laughs) That is like my absolute favorite restaurant. Uh, Actually, my mom and I uh, usually go there about once a week and and grab their pizza. So I'm going to miss that. Pizza in China is, it's, you know, if I started up a 575 in China, I would probably be a rich man. Probably so. (laughs) What does this area have too much of? Too much wind and too much flatness. Okay. I mean, if you can stand on a beer can and see people in Oklahoma waving at you, that's a flat place. I don't like the wind. It makes me nervous. Yeah. And it makes it actually difficult for recording if it gets too high. Even with my studio, it'll, you can hear it kind of bleed in. What does this area not have enough of? So when I lived in Houston, I was a member of Lifetime Fitness, which was a huge complex. I mean, they had volleyball courts, basketball courts, climbing walls, which I like doing the climbing thing. No big, we need a big sports complex like Lifetime Fitness here. Also, we need a Costco. Well, Sam's is is not enough for Sam's, you. Sam's is good, but there's just something about Costco. I, I love Costco. I think you you might find some uh, some others locally that that fall in line there. I've, yeah, I've heard yeah. that before. I like Sam's Club. I have, a, I have a Sam's Club membership, but something about Costco. Costco brings in Asian people for some reason. So really? It gives me a chance. In Houston, I would go to the Costco and I would practice my Chinese. Hmm. I'd kind of bump into somebody and start talking to them and find out they're from Beijing or somewhere and then I'd get to practice. You know, there's not a huge Chinese population in Amarillo. We've got a ton of people from Southeast Asia, you yeah, know, yeah, from yeah. Thailand and Laos, but... I haven't encountered a lot of, of Chinese people. You know, you go to Houston, there's a huge uh, Chinese culture, Asian culture in Houston and Dallas. Uh, but I mean, rightfully so. You've got a lot of engineering firms that are down there, oil companies where a lot of uh, Chinese tend to, at least what I've seen, uh, gravitate towards. How do you describe Amarillo to family members or to people outside this area? Outside this area, I w- or to like authors when they say you're recording this book from where? From where? where yeah, I say I'll say I am recording it from Amarillo, Texas, which is known as the entertainment mecca of North Texas, so, <laughs> the gateway to Dumas. So that's usually how I describe it. Uh, tell people it's flat, it's windy, it's uh, it's a great town to to raise a family in, to grow up in. It's just a, it's a good. It's kind of like the Andy Griffith town, a little bit bigger, but. Just a nice all-American city. Okay. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon? Two weeks ago. All right. So pretty recently. Yeah, yeah. When most of your guests today tell you it, You know, it, it depends. Some of them say it was last week. Some of them say, you know, it was two or three years ago when I yeah. had somebody visiting from out of town. So it's pretty diverse. Paladuro's had a, always held a special place in my heart. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tony Capwell, he, he went to Emerald High. We used to, in high school, we would... Uh, Go out and buy California wine coolers, which we weren't supposed to do because we were underage. But we did anyways, and we would go to the caves. Have you ever, okay. been, have you ever yep. been to the caves? I have. So there's one that's about a mile off the path, 
and it's an entrance of probably 20 feet high. And in the very far back of it, you can't see it very well. There's a smaller cave. So we would get up there and have a couple of drinks. And as people like parents with their kids, they would come up the cave and they would see, you know, this opening, but they couldn't see where we were because there was kind of hidden, you know, there's a big shadow there. And I would get in the back and I'd go. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hear, get out. It's a bear. It's a bear. And all these kids and the entire family are running out of this cave and falling, you know, out the, out the front of it. But yeah, I, I love that place. I was just early the, use of your sound effects. Skills yes, exactly. I mean, that's that's where it comes from. And of course, the acoustics in there were wonderful. It really yeah, made it really exactly. made it sound real too. Well, you you mentioned the wind. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Favorite weather is fall weather. I do like it when it snows. You know, not mm-hmm. like the the blizzard type snow, but when we get a nice three or four inches and it's not anything overwhelming and it's not too windy. You know, kind of that nice quiet nap weather. But the fall is probably my favorite here. Okay. And you mentioned 575 already, but mm-hmm. my last question is, is what's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Is that it? Well, yeah. I mean, that's 575, yeah. That's the one that I go to frequent most often. Now, there are a, a couple of other gourmet pizza places in town. Um, have you tried any of those? Fire Slice or Barrel and Pie and Canyon, anything like that? I believe I've tried Fire and Slice. That's right off of Western, isn't it? Fire Slice is Coulter and 34th, kind of hidden behind that shopping center. I don't think I've been to that right. one. Um, the other place, that I do like sushi. So, in, you know, after living 20 years in Houston, there's tons of great sushi restaurants. And uh, the one off of Sansi, what is the name of it? The, the Japanese? Yeah, like the Sakura? Jap- yeah, Sakura. Good sushi. All right. Well, that concludes my eight straight questions. Patrick, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something related to this area. So what is something you would want listeners to know about or to experience here in Amarillo? I have to throw in a commercial for myself. So if you're looking for any audiobooks and traveling, um, look up Project Strike Force. It's written by Kevin Lee Swain. I did three of his books. Who else? Um, You know, I'm a a big believer in in supporting local places. uh, you know, one of the places that I like, uh, and it's relatively new, is the Drunken Oyster. Uh, and that's managed and owned by Rory Shapizzi. Shapizzi, did I say it right? I think it's Shapizzi. <laughs> Shapizzi, I believe it is. Her restaurant, I've been there a couple of times. But I'd, I'd say visit 6th Street. I mean, I, I lived here for 18, 19 years. Drove down that street on the way to my dad's office by the old Northwest. And not once ever stopped in there. And mm. now that I've been back... I've made many visits down there and just realized that there's a lot of talented artists on the, on Sixth Street that I, I believe that we need to support. Definitely the people that are coming through town that are doing the old Route 66. They're they're stopping in there. People from England, people from Scotland, Russia, China. There people are driving through there supporting it, but I think it needs to be supported even more so by you know the local population. Okay. Patrick Freeman, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Talon LPE for sponsoring this episode and to Patrick Freeman for bringing his deep, gravelly voice talents to the show. You can follow Patrick's career at onemanmanyvoices.com, and that's the number one in his URL. You can learn more about this podcast at heyamarillo.com. If you're new to the show, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. We're just about everywhere. And go ahead and dig through the archives. Find an episode that you haven't listened to before. Follow Hey Amarillo at Hey Amarillo on Twitter and Facebook and at Hey Amarillo Podcast on Instagram. Anyway, thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.